Hi there. I'm Bob Lennon, president of Thermwood Canada, and I'm here as a host on the SME Story Podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey everybody, thanks for on the show. We got a great episode today with Bob Lennon. Bob Lennon is the owner and operator of Thermalwood Canada. Now, Thermalwood Canada is a manufacturing plant which specializes in thermally modifying any species of wood using a heat and steam system that requires zero chemical additives. Located in Bathurst, New Brunswick, Thermalwood Canada is a family-owned business who prides themselves on processing any species of wood with a, spe- with a specialty in hardwoods. This heating process essentially cooks the wood improving its resistance to decay and creating a uniform dark coloration throughout the thickness of the lumber. This allows wood like maple, birch, ash, oak, and other hardwoods, which are normally used for indoor projects to be modified for outdoor applications like siding, paneling, and decking. Thermal Wood Canada also works with guitar manufacturers. The thermal modifying process creates humidity resistant bodies and necks that produces stability. Now this allows musicians the ease of playing without retuning their guitar every 15 to 20 minutes. The unique tone replaces 20 to 35 years of natural air drying to give the guitars a vintage sound. They also work with architects, designers, contractors, and users to find a thermally modified option that best suits their needs. Bob also has created a video series called the Northern Heat Report as a way to sit down and create important dialogue with some of the region's best and brightest leaders. The term Northern Heat best describes their approach to business and life. So we got a great episode today with Bob, and he's going to probably give us a lot of great stories. So sit back and absorb. All right. We're now going to continue with part two with our interview with Bob from Thermalwood Canada. So we're going to continue our conversation where he was kind of talking about the misconceptions that the industry is in, which is wood manufacturing and wood treatment. So sit back and absorb. Yeah, and it's tough too because you know for the average Joe, the the average, uh, the average layman right here, they they'll assume whatever they hear from Lowe's, Home Depot, or any of the big box, box stores yeah. as correct, right? So if they say that thermal wood is bad or what you guys do, then when you try to go to these people and say, yeah, we can do it, they're like, well, no, I kind of heard that you guys aren't, you know, it's not safe or it's not, you know, there's no way you can guarantee it and yada yada yada, right? So. You know, I guess, yeah, that, that would be, I guess that kind of ties into the next question, which is like your biggest failure, but also your biggest success. I guess the failure was just like trying to build up and get past the stigma of people saying, oh, your product is may not be as, as, as good as maybe you think it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that kind of took us into a, a different, uh, a different uh, way of, of doing things. And, and so I'm going to take it into our marketing method because that's where, the educational side is one to get people to know who we are and what the technology is. But the other side of it is, is that the getting people a, a bigger audience to, to get to know who we are, what our values are, because it comes back to if people trust us and understand that. And, and uh, the uh, what we're going to talk about in a second, some people have coined it as a uh, marketing trust or or uh, manufacturing uh, trust, right? So you trust somebody. Uh, if you go into a store and there's five salespeople there and you know one of them, where are you going to go? You're going to go to that person that you know because yeah. you trust them to help you find the exact product that you're looking for. So mm-hmm. keeping that in mind, back uh, probably about uh, 
um, five years ago, I got reacquainted with an old friend of mine from uh, back when I was in mining uh, time, Gare Maxwell. And Gare had just become tech speaker of the year, and he was a branding expert. He wasn't a branding expert when I met him, but he had morphed into that with everything that he was, uh, he was doing. And so he had started looking at different ways of branding and how the big brands in the world and studying them and figuring out what had they done to be able to get to where they were. And it all had to do with, a, with something you mentioned when we first started this interview, what's your story? And so story is all about having this compelling story that other people will see and really feel for it and, and will, will follow you that way. So knowing that and working with that and working with, with Gare, uh, what we decided to do is I was president of the Chamber of Commerce at the time in, uh, in the Bathurst region, and I hired Gare to come in to help us look at how we could promote our region and a little bit better than what we were doing. We're the northern part of the province. We're always considered the poor end of the province. And there's a whole pile of stuff that happened in the southern end don't happen here. So there's that, you know, political fight going back and forth all the time. And so I wanted to try to change that. And so I hired Gare to uh, help the region to understand how could we market ourselves and what could be some of the things we could do. But the concept was something that when you get into it, it's not really easy to understand, but it grows. And as you have more clarity, then you understand how it all works together. But I couldn't get the, the, the group of people that I had working with me to really understand it. And because I was, you know, doing this work with, uh, with the company and was a startup, I really didn't have time to facilitate that whole group. So what I did is that I turned to Gary and I said, I'm going to hire you to work for Thermalwood Canada. And you're going to help me understand what this concept is and move forward. So the analogy that we've come up with and the clarity that we have with this is that take it as a baseball diamond. Okay. So to get the first base, you don't necessarily need a home run. If they're nice to have, and if you can get one, perfect. But a base hit or a walk is just as good. So you get a whole pile of people making it the first base that will originally populate the uh, the three bases and, and bring somebody home and and, uh, and score. So how do you create that chatter? And that's what we talk about is creating chatter so people get to know who you are and build that marketing trust. So what we do and what we do here at Thermoid Canada is that every week I interview somebody like you're doing with me today. I interview somebody from our region or from the province and I've grown to the province because I feel that New Brunswick has so much to offer, but we don't talk. We've got all this expertise in the province. And every so often we bump into somebody and say, really? That's what you do? And oh my God. And But there's a whole bunch of oh my God stories in the province and we don't talk. And so what I'm trying to do is to showcase these great things that are happening. So I interview people every single week from... Uh, it can be somebody that owns a small business selling ice cream. Or a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed a bunch of kids that were international students that have come here to graduate in their grade 12 and talk about their experience and talk about why did they move here and, and what was so special about the Schleur region and what was so special about the people they met. And we talk about that. 
We've done uh, over 200 interviews. And in those 200 interviews, people have got used to me. They've got used to understanding what my questioning is and what my values are and who I really care about. And that has created a, um, uh, a feeling of trust. And so yeah, they know you like you and trust you. So that's why they're they're they, they listen to you. So we've reached out to over a million people. They're all sitting on first base. Now, out of those million people, there's a percentage of them that are going to turn around. And this is my podcast room. So you see my uh, ah. on the back, right? You yes. see it on my hat. I'm wearing it all the time. And the beginning of our podcast is Thermalwood Canada. We call the show the Northern Heat. So who's turning on the heat? in, uh, in uh, northern New Brunswick or in New Brunswick as a whole. And so there's a, a percentage of those million people that look at this and said, what is Thermalwood Canada? What's that got to do with, uh, with uh, uh, this person that, uh, that owns a, a fishing expedition or they own a restaurant or a bar or a clothing store? What, like, what's that got to do with that? And so then they go and they search Thermalwood Canada. Well, the minute that they go on there, we have a, a, a uh, uh, trailer on our uh, landing page that talks about our values as a company and an organization. So that takes that group of people to uh, second base. So now they're on second. Out of that, take another percentage of those people that are going to say, you know, I never thought about this for decking or siding or flooring or, or paneling or whatever. And so then they reach out to me and they, uh, they ask for a quote or they ask for information to understand a little bit more of what's going on. And so that gets them to third base, third development <laughs> up to me. I got to build a relationship with them and make them feel comfortable that they can trust what, they, what we tell them, that this is what the product does and will guarantee that what it's going to do. And so that's where it builds. So it's kind of a, a weird way of branding. But it comes back to people trusting that the product that you have is good for the market. And yeah. now we're getting people that have seen the video, seen that, or word of mouth. Because we don't have the money to spend millions of dollars on marketing. Some of my competitors from Europe that are here, I look at what they're putting out there and I'm going, this has got to cost them millions of dollars to do it. We're marketing and branding on $50 a week of boosting our, uh, our Facebook page. Yeah. And so it's using the power of social media, just like you are, of getting out there, getting a message and telling a story. But in our case, I'm not telling my story. I'm telling somebody else's story. But yeah. But it, that's, it populates the first base. Yeah, no, that that's a great story there, there Bob. Yeah. Like, like you said, you're you're building others and letting them tell their story because I think everyone just wants to be heard in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Right. And uh, the fact that you're able to leverage that, and now you have like, you know, millions of people listening and and stuff like that. That, that that's really great. Uh, that's really great to hear. So. Interesting. So sorry that my cat's been trying to get in here for some reason. That's why I had to I had to try to. I seen a fur yes. head uh, kind of come out in the bottom of the screen. But you know, <laughs> if uh, if anybody is interested in in really understanding a little bit more of how we're doing it and this concept, 
Dare actually made uh, wrote a, a book that was published back in uh, in uh, January this year and put out on the market. And you can get this at uh, it's just a plug in for Gare, but it's yep. Big Little Legends, and it really talks about the big legends that are out there, the big guys that you know Ferrari and Nike and and those kind of companies. Is that how did they get there? You know, and mm-hmm. it all talks about their story, and then. What he does, it compares it to a lot of small and medium-sized businesses and saying these are the things that they're doing and how they've been able to increase their uh, their market share only by telling their story. Yeah, and we'll make sure to put that in the show notes so, so the listeners can definitely pick up a copy for it. That'll be great. Now it's time for tips from the pro. So... All right, so we're going to hit our tips from the pro segment here, there, Bob, because yep. you, you're you've been doing this a while, and you know you're, you're you're seasoned vet, so I know a lot of people are going to have a lot of questions on it. So now we're focused on the part where, okay, if I'm trying to do something similar to you, or maybe just wanting to get into the wood space in general, what should I kind of do? So I guess the first question we have is then, you know, you've seen wood from hardwood, softwood, all the different the the species of wood. If I wanted to get started in any kind of like, what would be the I wouldn't say the easiest, but, uh, you know, if I want to start working with wood, what would be the best one to start with that might have a lower cost and then I can work with that? Well, that's a really, uh, that's, that's a good question. And I think that I might deflect it a little bit here, but just getting (laughs) into the, to the wood industry, I wouldn't worry too much about the species that you're going to get into and, and working with first is that what are you going to make with it? And if you make something with it, make something that that uh, that touches your passion at the same time. So, are you passionate about furniture? Are you ch- passionate about design? Are you uh, passionate about home building? The whole construction market of it. Uh, you know, like I'll give you an example. One of the markets that we're in is the music industry, and so I forgot we were going to touch upon that. But yes, continue. Yeah. So. We introduced thermally modified wood into that industry. Uh, one of the, the the partners that I had was already supplying them white wood, and, and I'll use that as just kiln dried wood. And uh, he was sending, selling them a lot of figured uh, material, like bird's eye maple, curly maple, that kind of stuff, stuff that people are really looking for. And we decided to introduce it because of stability. One of the things that uh, we found out through research later on was that the uh, uh, guitarists and, and luthiers are always looking for an old piece of wood that's been dried up for many, many years or an old guitar that the wood on the guitar has been allowed to dry for many years because it's got a different tone. It's got a higher pitch tone. It's got a vintage tone. And people are looking for that. Well, we can artificially... Um, do that instead of waiting 30 years for a piece of wood to dry out, we can artificially do that in, uh, you know, 90, 90 to a hundred hours. And oh, so wow. now where independent luthiers before had to wait for a piece of wood to dry out and big manufacturers like Fender or Gibson or music man couldn't do that. They couldn't get that into the manufacturing line because they couldn't afford to leave wood out there for 30 years, but an independent could. And, so now all of a sudden we've opened up the door to all these uh, uh, these larger markets. And when we first brought this in, 
we were probably selling maybe 10 to 20 guitar neck blanks a month. Now we treat 15,000 a month. This is just a drop in the bucket because companies like Fender build 2 million guitars a year. And so we're not even into those, those numbers. But that all comes back to, you know, I'm passionate about music. I'm passionate, uh, you know, I've been uh, involved in organizing concerts and, and uh, festivals for many years. And now I'm into the music industry in a, in a different way. So that's why I deflected it to tell that little story. because <laughs> It brings me back to <clears throat> go where your passion is. Because if you're passionate about something, then the hours don't count anymore. And when you become an entrepreneur, you know, I worked for the big multinationals for years and, and then became an entrepreneur. One of the things I realized that it needs to be your passion because uh, when you figure it all out and you figure out what your uh, hourly rate is, you might be getting paid two bucks an hour. But yeah. but the, the whole thing is that if you're passionate about it and it becomes your hobby and you like what you're doing, that would be my biggest tip to anybody. Oh, okay. No, that, that's great to hear, right? Because, uh, like you said, like if you found particular niche areas, that's not just all about okay, we only treat wood. Like you've actually able to really specialize in various different things of that, because then that's such a broad term. So that's pretty good to hear. So, all right, next question here. So, I guess if I'm going to start working with wood, and let's say I want to maybe get similar into what you do, what should be the first machine or piece of equipment I should purchase? Hmm. Well. Uh, any wood that you're going to get is going to be in a, in a rough form. So, you know, uh, definitely need a, a planer. That would be one of the things, or, uh, you know, in our case, we went to a molding machine, which it planes the wood, but we get all kinds of different profiles on it. But depending on what you're doing, that's the first step of the game. You know, you need to take your wood from a rough format to something, uh, a method of shaping the wood into what you're looking for. So it could be a planer, it could be a router, it could be different uh, uh, pieces of equipment that way, but something that you're able to profile your uh, your wood into something else. Okay, no, that's great. Uh, next question, how do you stay updated on current trends? Like, do you use like magazines or do you have like a membership site or market intelligence reports? Or just maybe you have some networking executives that uh, that you definitely work with. How do yeah. you keep on top of what's the, going on? It's, it's like listen to the voice of the customer, right? And so um, I don't read a lot, I uh, but I talk a lot. And so it's the network of people that I'm with that you're that, – that to me is probably the most important thing that you have is listening to the people that you're working with uh, – whether they're a friend or somebody new that just came into your life as a potential customer, is really listen to what they have to say. Don't try to force what you have to give them, but listen to what they're looking for and then try to link the product that you've got to what they have so that you're talking their language. And so the more and more people that call you up, the more things that we end up finding out. And, uh, you know, as an example, we've just created a new product. It doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And what we've done is that it goes back to the music industry. We've created a product that we call Obsidian. 
And the Obsidian uh, line of products, it could be Obsidian Ebony, Obsidian Maple, Obsidian Rosewood, but it's uh, the, the, the front end is Obsidian. The back end name is the tree or the species of wood that we're trying to give an alternative to. So instead of buying a real piece of Ebony, which is on the extinct species list right now and very difficult to get, but it's used for fingerboards on guitars. I've been listening to the customer for years and years and years saying that it's getting harder to get. It's administrative issues. And so we took that. We've seen an opportunity of listening to them. And it took us five years and plenty of money to in research and development. But we've created a product that is dark as ebony. It has the same tone as ebony. It's got, uh, you know, all the attributes of that. And so we've created, listening to the voice of the customer, created this new product. Fender Guitar, we commissioned them to build a guitar for us. And we just received it last Tuesday. And on the weekend, oh, wow. we had uh, um, the Chamber of Commerce here had a uh, golf tournament for all the, the business owners. And we hired a local musician to play the guitar. He was the first guy that played it. I don't play guitar. He was the first guy that played it. The whole guitar is made with wood that comes out of here. And he started playing it, and he realized that the fingerboard was so dense and so hard that he couldn't reach notes that he couldn't before on a regular guitar with a regular ebony uh, fingerboard. Now, all of a sudden, you know, I'm listening to everything he's saying and I'm going, well, there's a marketing point. There, that's something. So the key is, is that listen to the voice of the customer. Listen to what they have to say. Figure out what is it that are some of the key elements that get brought up that tie into some of the key elements that you that you have and try to figure out how do you link them together. Wow, that, that, that's really cool, right? Uh, where do you go from there? But actually, you know, that ties in my last question for Tips on the Pro here. So you talk about listening to the customer. What's your strategy that you would tell aspiring entrepreneurs on the best strategy to deal with, like I say, difficult customers? Like in a perfect world, we don't have difficult customers or we weed them out even in the beginning before we're doing business with them. But how would you, what advice would you give to someone how to deal with those? kind of customers? Well, again, you're absolutely right. In the real world, there are a whole bunch of difficult customers. And <laughs> uh, unfortunately, sometimes I, I, uh, I don't deal with it correctly uh, because I lose some patience and then uh, I, uh, I become a bit sarcastic and you should not do that with a customer. So, in the customer's mind, they're always right. And so you need to be able to, to figure out and ask the right questions. And it's more, then you, you turn in more like a coach, right? Because you're trying to understand where they're coming from and putting yourselves in their mindset. They have paradigms. They've got, got belief systems that have brought them to that point that they are difficult because of the experiences that they've had. And mm. you might sit there and you say, how can you like, you know, you don't want to tell them that they're, that they're stupid, but there are times that you, that you <laughs> almost feel like saying, how could stupid could you be? But the thing is, is that they got there somehow. And so you need to figure out and put yourself in their mindset and understand that. And the only way you can do that is by asking them the right questions. And yeah. by being patient 
and asking them the right questions and listening to what they have to say. And then from the what they have to say, again, it's, it's voice of the customer. It's figuring out what are the key things that I can say that could change the way that they think. And at the end of the day, hey, you might not, uh, you might not get through. But mm. that's the way it is. And you're yeah. going to learn from it. And the more you learn, you can't be afraid to jump in and ask those questions. Yeah, and I think just once you said as well is that you know finding the right questions will take some time because I think for most people we think okay we know what questions to ask, but then when you start having enough interaction with the people that are not your ideal client, that uh, okay these ones I probably shouldn't have started talking to these people already. They're not. They're definitely not my ideal customer that I would probably do business with because of whatever. Maybe I'll learn to say what's a weeding question that I can try and you know, really figure out if these people are the people I should continue trying to land their business or refer them to someone else or, you know, you know, cause I, that, that's the thing too. I think that's people try to get everybody and you, you, if you're serving everybody, you're serving nobody, right? So you got to find what makes the right sense. So, all right. So let's- now it's time for the rapid fire round. So let's go to uh rapid fire round now though it's because we've been talking a lot about business so this is more light-hearted questions that we'd like to talk about here we always like to finish the show this way so we'll start with this one here what is your best work-life balancing act <laughs> yeah that's a good question he says sure. chuckling yeah. so <laughs> but one of the things is is that uh i'm a workaholic so you know working is is my passion but uh over the last uh, uh few years i've uh I've turned my uh, a lot of my energy to riding motorcycles, and so uh, I uh, I bought a motorcycle three years ago, uh, fell in love with it. Bought a second one the following year, and bought a third one this year. <laughs> so now I go out my garage, and I have choices. And now I got my wife involved in the in uh, in riding, and my son that borrows one of the bikes. So we decided to start our own gang and 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 go out. But any time that I have a chance of going out with friends and stuff. It, uh, it clears my mind. It's uh, mm. when you're on a motorcycle, you cannot afford to uh, uh, to wander off too too quickly with your brain. You got to be focused on what you're doing because there's so many obstacles out there. So it gives me a chance to uh, to unwind and do things in a different way. Yeah, and that, that's great because like you have to be focused on it, right? Because if you think about it, between if a motorcycle and a car crashes, who comes out on top? Yeah. Pretty much it's going to be the car. The bigger one. You know, 99% of the time. Yeah, the bigger one, right? So definitely it's a great thing, like you said, to focus the mind. So, all right, next question. What would the 15-year-old self thinking you'd be doing right now? How How's that question again? So what would the 15-year-olds, what would you see, like, what would the 15-year-old self be thinking you would be doing right now? So if you're 15, what did you want to be? If I was 15 years old, well, yeah. uh you know what? It's weird because I was growing up as a kid when I was five years old, I wanted to become an architect. And uh, my, my, uh, my whole journey took a while to get to where I am today, but I'm as close to architects that I'd ever, uh, I'd ever be. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, my grandfather was in construction. My father was in construction. And then finally I got back into uh, 
the family traits of a way back when. So I don't think I'd change anything. Okay. I'd be where I am oh. today. What? Yeah, because you, you're you're surrounded by wood in general. So some way, shape, or form, this was gonna this was your calling. It sounds like yeah. so. Just took a while to there find. There we go. It. Exactly. All right. What world record do you think you could break? World record that I could break. Hmm. Yeah. Ace, there's uh uh the number of uh, of uh, this that ties into business though, and this is just thinking off of the cuff. The more companies that i could get involved in the music industry interesting and i don't know so the if most companies a, if there's a record there but uh being able to to have a uh, a stick of wood the most music that, companies yeah, yeah to be able to have a stick of wood in as many households that we could get in the world there we go i mean hey they have it for hiccups so i, I can't see what else they have world records for yeah. But yeah, I can see it. That's great. All right, now this is a two-part question: the best and worst movie sequel you've ever seen. Oh, the best. Well, there's a number of them because I see a whole pile. Uh, I enjoy all the science fiction ones. So, uh, Avatar is definitely uh, the latest one that I've seen that uh, uh, has been that uh, good. And uh, I only walked out of the theater once. And uh, God, if I could remember the name of that movie, but I can't. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. And I'm the type of guy that will sit there and watch anything till the end because there's got to be. They made a movie, right? So they spent yeah, a pile they're... of money, and there must be a message that they're <laughs> giving here. But that one there, I couldn't see the message, and I walked out. Do you remember the original though? Because then that maybe that'll help with no, the no. sequel. No. You remember your no. okay so. Uh, for me, it was very similar. Like, I think I like to watch a wide variety of movies. I like a lot of the stupid humor movies. So some of the best ones I've seen were like, for some reason, Austin Powers 2, which I thought was better than the first one. I think uh, Terminator 2 was better than the original Terminator. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say anything after Terminator 2 was better. I'm like, that's yeah. they might fall under the worst sequels. And I think one of the worst sequels I think I ever saw was Mortal Kombat. So if you remember Mortal Kombat back in late mid to late 90s, it was a video game. Right, it was in the arcade. It was very popular. The movie came out. It was really good. Didn't win obviously didn't win any Oscars or anything, but it was very popular. It was the first movie that I think I watched twice in the theater. And uh, from the story, from what I've read, is that they were pushing so hard to make a sequel, but only like half the cast agreed to it. So that was basically the one you're looking at. You're like, if I. They replaced people that from the first one that didn't make sense. And I remember watching it. I'm like, yeah, no. When you try to recast a main character, you can't do it. No. So, no. <laughs> all right. Next last couple of questions is this was related to food. If you can have your own sandwich, what's on it and what would it be called? Well, I have a favorite sandwich that, that, that nobody, uh, not a whole pile of people. This is uh, passed on to me from my father. So it's uh, two slices of bread. Cheese Whiz on one side, Miracle Whip on the other side, scrambled eggs and potatoes and in between. Really? Yeah, try it. I'm serious. It's good. If you were gonna if you were gonna market it, what would you call it? Uh Big Daddy. Big Daddy. <laughs> Put it on a shirt. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> all right. Last question here. What is your theme song and why? So I asked this to all my guests. So you're walking down the sidewalk, you're walking down the street. That song hits. 
everybody knows that uh, Bob is coming. Well, uh, it's more of a rhythm and blues uh, uh, song, but uh, song I feel good, and uh, only because I only look at positive things, Ken, and I don't look at. Uh, I feel that if you get dwell down on the negatives, it just drains you so much. And I'm I'm an optimist, and uh, I seem to find positive things in, in everything. So I have that playing in the, in my head uh, many, many times. I feel good. <laughs> love it. Love it. And all right. So last question here, just in general, any other final parting words to the entrepreneur, whether it's in your business or anyone who wants to get started, any other advice you want to give them in general? Well, I think that, um, I decided to become a, an entrepreneur when I was 50 years old. Uh, and uh, I wish I would have done it a long time before. There's so many things that you can do. And it's not just the fact of being your own boss. And I don't regret any stuff that I did with the, uh, with the, uh, the big uh, companies because if I wouldn't have been there, all the knowledge and everything that I learned and all the experiences and the opportunities that they gave me I wouldn't be where I am today, but it's just the fact of, of being able to make decisions and, and without somebody else telling you that this, you have to follow suit, you know, you have to, this is the culture of the organization. This is the things that you like to do. And, uh, I always had a tendency of going across the grain or against the, the, uh, the tide. And so, uh, sometimes it was accepted and sometimes it wasn't, but, Becoming an entrepreneur and seeing things develop uh, from your own hands, it's so fulfilling and uh, it's great. And to have an opportunity to have uh, uh, be involved in a family business, you know, I work with my brother-in-law every day. My wife comes in here every day. My son is here. His dog is here, you know, just like you had the, the cat while the dog walks yes. in here all the time. It's, it's just it's just something that I never thought I'd ever I'd ever be able to uh, experience. And and uh, um, anybody that has a dream, and go ahead and pursue it. Absolutely, great great words. So, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, if they want to reach out to me, if they went under our website at www.thermalwoodcanada.com is one way. Uh, they can reach it on uh, on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, we have a Thermalwood uh, page or look up Robert Lennon and uh, on uh, LinkedIn, you'll find me there. You can find me on Facebook. You can find Thermalwood Canada on Facebook or you just uh, give us a call at 506-548-9126. All right. Well, great. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Bob, for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Well, I appreciate uh, you having me on the show and, and uh, allowing me to tell our story. Hey you, do you need a voiceover? Well, look no farther. Northway Capital Group has your answer. Commercials and explainer videos, AVR and voicemail, health and wellness, corporate training and e-learning, announcements, documentaries, and biography. Contact us on social media or email us at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.